I am super excited to start this series, and I guess Richard and a few others will be the ones to determine whether or not I changed anything, so uh, th- this will be fun. But you know, what, well, while I'm excited for this series, and I've been looking forward to going through Mark together as a faith community, well, that's like a favorite thing. I love walking through the Word of God together, like picking it apart and understanding it. One of my least favorite things about school were the dances, especially the middle school dances. Because, you know, I mean, everyone's awkward in middle school. I mean, it just, it just, it's just part of, part of life. And so, you know, on one side, uh, you know, you have, you have all the guys lined up, you know, on one side, and all the girls on the, lined up on the other side. And who's going to get on the dance floor first? And then maybe you have one brave soul Who's like, all right, all eyes are on me. This is my chance to get out there and bust the move. And they got no shame, no care in the world, and go out and just go at it. You know, maybe that super confident kid or, you know, just a, a group of people who get out there and just like, we're just, we don't even care. We're just, we're just going to go for it. And, you know, I always applauded kids like that. That wasn't me. I tended to, to end up on one of the sides. Um, and it was entirely different, you know, especially at least in middle school. To actively, like, grab someone, go invite them, and actually go dance. And the thing is, is it's because we're all maybe at some level a little awkward, a little uncoordinated in middle school. And, di- and dance is dynamic. It's not static. There's a level of rhythm and coordination. It's, it's responsive. It's, it's feel. It's two people in ta- tandem. The ebb and the flow, the give and the take, the back and forth, and, and it's not all quite, I mean, it can be. I mean, you, I, I was one of those where it's a little bit herky-jerky, you know. You know. But in, in a way of sorts, what, what Mark is going to do for us is he's going to introduce us to the dynamic dance of God. Let me say that again. What Mark is going to do, especially here at the beginning verses of, of his gospel account, his, his written account of Jesus' life, he's going to introduce us to the dynamic dance of God. And sometimes like an awkward middle school dance, we aren't entirely sure how to step into that dance. But thankfully, we have Mark to guide us, to invite us in and to show us what it looks like, this dance that God does, this dynamic dance, and how we are invited into it so that we can keep in step so that we can be dynamic be responsive be in tandem with who god is and the way he wants to go about moving throughout the world now we got to understand something about mark is as he invites us into this dance he he wasn't necessarily an early follower of jesus so as he writes his gospel account his his, his account of who Jesus is and what he is like, what he has done is he's heard from others and experienced God's grace in his own life. In fact, he actually got to sit at the feet of the Apostle Peter. He got to spend time with the Apostle Paul. And those are, t- those are two uh, early, one's an early disciple of Jesus. The other one is, is a church planner and missionary who, who went and started all kinds of churches. And Mark got to spend some time He got to see how the way of Jesus shaped their life and how they responded to it. So as he begins to write this account of Jesus' life, he's he's out to prove a point. And Mark, 
He's only going to tell you what he thinks once. And it's here in the opening verse of Mark chapter 1. The rest of the time, what he is going to do is he's going to say, here is Jesus, encounter him, experience him, watch him move, and then respond. He's going to show you Jesus and people's reaction to him. And so here's how Mark starts out his written account of Jesus. It starts out by saying, the beginning. These are, these are powerful words. And, and if you're familiar with your Bible, you know that the very first pages of Scripture started in the beginning. And what Mark is doing here is, he, is he's pulling from that theme. For Mark, the introduction of Jesus, who he's about to introduce, is no less momentous than the creation of the world. For in Jesus, a new creation is at hand. In Jesus, we see humanity relate to God as we are always intended to relate to him. There's a relationship and a response to his will. And he sets this up, all this, this, this theme by those simple words. In the beginning. And then he says the gospel Gospel, it's okay if you, don't, if you don't know that word. It means good news or good tidings. It's a word that sometimes we, we use around generations. And, and the summary is it's the story of salvation in Jesus. So it's God's will breaking into the world, establishing a will and a way on this earth amongst a people. And, it's a pe- and, and the salvation that Jesus brings is part of that news. Now, this word gospel was part of the culture of the day. But the way in which it was used in the culture of the day was it was always in the plural. Here's what I mean is, is if Caesar went and he captured another territory, then, then someone would write out and they would say, hey, the good news is Caesar is now in charge of this area. But they would do it in the plural, meaning this is one good news of many. When Mark uses this word, it's in the singular, which means out of all the good news, all, 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 the, all the many good things that you can hear, for Mark, the single most important announcement and piece of news is that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, is the Son of God. That is the news above all other news. And it's that news that begins to shape our life and that mark wants to put in front of us again and again the good news of jesus christ there beside which there is no other so that there is a hope for god's people that he was finally breaking into the world he was he was eradicating and restoring he he was redeeming and reconciling all these words are an attempt to say As we experience brokenness, when we begin to apply who Jesus is and what he is like to the brokenness by which we experience, there is healing, there is peace, and there is joy. And ultimately, there is rescue for our weary souls. And so for Mark, the gospel refers to the fulfillment of God's reign and salvation in the fullness of time. 
means that God did not stay distant. He's not some abstract thought or something uh, of a genie of sorts. Rather, God purposefully intervenes in our life. And for Mark, what he is saying is in this time, in, in, in the, this year, when he's writing this, when he's recalling back, when Jesus shows up on the scene, God is purposefully showing up to show us what it's like to be part of the dance. And so we meet this Jesus and Mark labels Jesus with several things. The first thing is he says it's, it's Jesus, which, it, which is a play on the, uh, just the Hebrew to know some of the name study. Come back is, is at its core, it means God is salvation. So the first thing we learn about Jesus, there's something powerful about a name. And that we learn that, that Jesus, as he shows up on the scene, it's God is salvation. So Mark tells you what Jesus is about, and he's about to show you through Jesus' actions. The next word that he uses is Christ or Messiah. This royal figure who will set up a kingdom. He is the long-awaited, anointed one. And he uses this word here, and eventually we're going to see how this comes to fruition. So actually for the first half of Mark, this is the central focus on how Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ. And we get to a proclamation, actually, in Mark chapter 8, verse 29. So stay tuned to, to see how Mark is going to build towards that point. He tells you it, and then he's going to show you it. And then he says that, that Jesus is the Son of God. And he gets to this point in Mark chapter 15, verse 59. So in Mark chapter 8, verse 29, in Mark chapter 15, verse 59, he's going to build to the point of Jesus being the Son of God, which is the unique relationship to God that ultimately enables us to have a relationship to God. And so he says this here in verse 1. He tells you what he thinks, and then he moves into, so let me show you. And here, he quotes the words from to actually two Old Testament scriptures. And I would encourage you to write these down. Malachi 3, verse 1, and Isaiah 40, verse 3. And he quotes this, and he says, and, and he cites Isaiah the prophet. And what he's doing is he's pulling from history. He's pulling from the scriptures to say, here's how I know who Jesus is, who, I'm a, who I just told you he is. And what he does is he talks about a messenger. He quotes this, these passages about a messenger who's going to prepare the way for Jesus. And while he, he pairs these together in your Bible, usually says it's Isaiah, it's because he uses that Isaiah moniker to basically say Isaiah would have been the most famous prophet that they would have known. So he attributes Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40 verse 3 to Isaiah. And what he does is he talks about John the Baptist. And John's task is to prepare the way. And we read with hindsight, and we see how Jesus talked about men's sinfulness and God's salvation. He talks about, about the preparation needed for the Messiah. But he uses these passages to set up who John is and how he's the fulfillment of this Elijah prophet. And how this Elijah prefigures actually not the Messiah, but the appearance of God himself. That's why I give you both of those passages. Because if you were going to go back and read Malachi chapter 3 and Isaiah uh, chapter 40, what you hear is as this figure shows up and says, prepare the way. God is coming. The very next person you meet and experience in those passages is God. 
himself. So what Mark is doing here is he's saying, we expect by this announcement that there's going to be a voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare for the way of the Lord, make his path straight. We expect God himself to show up. And who shows up on the scene is none other than Jesus. It's Jesus. So right when we expect God to show up personally, we meet Jesus. And what, and what, what Mark's doing is he's saying he describes this as a way. So from its outset, the story of Jesus directs here is not simply to, to, me, or not to metaphysics and to mysticism, not to ethical rules and systems, but to something practical and transforming, a way of salvation made possible by God. And this is who Jesus is. So God shows us his way through Jesus. God shows us his way in Jesus. And so as we, as we see John telling people, hey, prepare for the Messiah, prepare for the Lord, he is coming. He's telling them to get baptized. He's inviting them to repent and turn, to basically acknowledge their sinfulness and to say, I'm ready for God to show up. Now, this is a slightly different, as we think of baptism, as we think of Christian baptism. For Christian baptism, we, we get kind of the after effects of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. So it doesn't just simply demonstrate repentance. It's also more. It's about being baptized into Christ, thus into his life, death, and resurrection. But the key to understanding John's baptism is that it proclaimed, which means basically he was getting ready to say the Messiah is coming. And it's a work of God, not mere human action. That when we surrender to it, we will receive a forgiveness of sins. And so John's main message wasn't you're a sinner and need to repent. John's main message was the Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. See, when we recognize what he's setting up, it's when we, don't, when we turn our eyes off of this world and off of ourselves and onto God, it will change how we act. And we will, in turn, when we focus on who God is, we can't help but respond with repentance. Recognizing that, that we are selfish at times, that, that, that we turn our own way, that, that we think of what's right and wrong in terms of our own eyes and our own perspective. And we've got to turn to a perspective that says this is the way, and Mark introduces and says the Messiah is coming. He will show us the way. He will show us what it's like to be a part of the dance in this world. So this call was the response to the news about the Messiah was coming, and for us, baptism is a response to the news that Christ has come, and he is coming back. And we enter into that, which is why on November 1st, we're going to have a baptism Sunday, because we're going to celebrate new life. People saying yes to Jesus. We, we want him to work in our life. We want to surrender to him. And I'm responding to who he is and what he is like. And we see what God is like and who he is in just a moment at Jesus's baptism. We see that as Jesus shows up onto the scene, 
that as John says, prepare for the Messiah. Respond. Repent. Jesus travels from far away and shows up on the scene. And, and John says there, he, he, he's all what he wears all just points to the picture of that John was the long-awaited messenger. But he says, one is more powerful than I is coming after me. And I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie the straps of his sandals. I baptize with water, but he baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus comes and he is baptized as a confirmation of his relationship to God and a response to his will. Jesus had to be in tune with God's will to travel all the way from Nazareth down to the Jordan River. He doesn't come from just a short distance away. And then when we see as Mark writes what happens, it says as soon as he came up out of the water, he saw the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. This rendering of the heaven opening up is highly significant. Because it was commonly believed that God was distant, that he was far away, and, and God's working through his Holy Spirit had stopped with the Old Testament prophets. And th that it was going to be a long time before anything happened again, before God would speak directly to his people. And so this opening of heaven begins with the long-awaited return of God's Spirit. And God's Spirit empowers and unites with us. See, God's, the presence of God's Spirit in your life, especially after when we're baptized and we say yes to Him, it means you have someone who is on your team right there with you to empower you, to give you the Word, to, to honestly confirm the very words that God says to Jesus. That you are loved. And in with you, God is well pleased. This is a declaration straight from heaven. From passages such as Isaiah 49.3, Psalm 2.7, and Genesis 22.2. And this declaration from God, as the, as the dove descends and the, the voice of the Father speaks down, we encounter fatherly love, obedience, and a commission to kingship and suffering servants. That no other had received such words, but as Jesus shows us what it's like to be in the dance, we're able to experience those same words. So you remember those who were seeing Jesus saw him, just as you see the person next to you. And so this baptism singles, signals the confirmation of Jesus' sonship and a commencement to servanthood. It says, from God to Jesus, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. See, when we enter the dance, and we see how Jesus entered the dance here at this moment. How, how, how it was a picture for us of what it looks like to, to dance and to dance well. Those same words are available to us. And I, I, I so loved what, what happened this week in our Facebook group. As, as we're trying to encourage people to, to, to walk and to, 
to continue that metaphor, dance well with God, is we had someone uh, who, who put out this teaching that, that made us say those words, that, that I belong, that, that, that we are loved by God. And that's, that's why as I kind of preface the to-be-continued aspect of this series, is we want your faith to be an everyday faith, which means that we're not just going to be able to look at these words and hear them for 30 minutes on a Sunday and walk out of here and live a transformed life. We need to hear those words. We need to say those words. We need to experience those words each and every day. And together we have to do that. We have to remind each other. We have to encourage each other that those words are available to us, that you are loved by God. And that in you, he is well pleased. Which means there is nothing you can do to make God to love you any less. And there's nothing you can do to make God love you any more. He simply loves you. As you begin to enter the dance, you get to experience what that love means for every aspect of your life. Because what happens is as you enter the dance, as you step out on the dance floor with God, there are people standing on the sidelines that are observing, that are watching, that are, that are trying to figure out what in the world is going on. How do they have that confidence? How did they solve that problem? Man, I, I knew what they were like 10 years ago. Man, what has changed? And it's because we're people who continually take God's hand and enter the dance. And we go maybe from some herky-jerky movements to learning what it means to walk in step. And we help and we do that together. And so that's why as we teach through this series in Mark, we're, we're going to kind of take a section at a time, but I'm not going to go section by section. What I'm actually going to do is challenge you between Sunday and next Sunday to look at some of the sections in between the next teaching passage so that you can learn what it looks like to make your faith an everyday faith. So that as that happens, as you live out those words, the people from the sidelines go learn what it looks like to step out onto that dance floor and experience all that God has for them. So that's going to happen through, through bonus sermons on YouTube. That's going to happen through blogs throughout the week. That's going to happen through teachings in our Facebook group and on our Facebook page. And so if, if you're not connected with those channels, it's going to happen through email. If you're unsure, if you're connected to that, go to our website, send us a message. We want you to experience that because we want to go on this journey together because we want to constantly and continuously remind you what God has said about you. That you are loved. That you belong. And we see that because Mark points us to Jesus. And that four different witnesses each testify to the identity of Jesus. Mark said that Jesus is the Son of God. The prophets say that Jesus is Lord. John the Baptist said that he's the one after me who's mightier than I. And God the Father said Jesus is the beloved Son, and the Holy Spirit confirms and seals that reality. We get to experience that each and every day. Now I've said, so what does that mean for us? I've said several times, and I've, I've emphasized that you 
our love. And that God shows us his way in Jesus. Now this is saying something particular about the way God is. It's saying that he's, he, he's a God of relationship. He's a God of love. He's personal. He steps into our circumstances and situations. The challenge is, is to live every aspect of our lives as if that is true. But because of what we listen to and what we tune into, sometimes we think God is not who he says he is. Some of the times we live as if there is no God, as if by blind chance, strictly as a result of natural selection, that, that when you and I call, what you and I call love is by chance just a chemical condition of the brain. So that if, if you feel love, it's only because the combination of chemicals passed down from your ancestors enable you to survive and get your body in places that need to be to pass it on. So when we don't think that there is a God or that there is no God or live as if that's true, then all love is a simple chemistry. On the other hand, sometimes we live as if God exists, but is uni- unipersonal, which means he's just by himself, off, distant, floating on a cloud somewhere. That means that there was a time when God was not love. Because before God created the world, when there was only one divine person, there was no lover. And because love can only exist in a relationship, if a unipersonal God had created the world and its inhabitants, such a God would not in his essence be love. Power and greatness, possibly, but not love. But if from all eternity, without end and without beginning, ultimate reality is a community of persons knowing and loving one another, then ultimate reality is about this love relationship. It's about this beautiful dance that's dynamic, that's filled with joy and peace and obedience and submission and true will where they sacrifice and care for one another in such a deep, profound, and beautiful way. That there's no selfishness and no impurity. Then we have access to it. If that God created the world. And so why would a triune God create the world? If he were a unipersonal God, you might say, well, he created the world so that he can have beings who give him worshipful love and give him joy. But if a triune God created, already had that, and he had received love within himself in a far purer, more powerful form than we human beings can ever give him. So why would he create us? There is only one answer. He must have created us not to get joy or to get love, but to give it. He must have created us not to get joy, not to get love, but to give it. He must have created us to experience the dance and to invite others into it. And to say, if you center your life on me, if you find me beautiful for who I am and in myself, then you will step into that dance. And you will be amongst the watching world. And they, will can't, they can't help but say, I can't or I want to get into that dance. We are people in the everyday things of life who want to live well with God. So that others see and experience the love that God has for us. They get a taste of the love God has for them. And they get to experience 
what it looks like and see and be invited into the good news that God wants to dance with them. That God has not forgotten about them, and he's, he's, he's not abandoned them. He's not somewhere off in a cloud. He, he's not distant, but he's not forgotten about us and shows us how to navigate life by sending us Jesus to remind us of who we are, to give us a personal favor that shows up in every aspect of life. And so, as we are reminded of that, we must respond to the fact that we are also loved children of God. And that's what is proven at Jesus' baptism. So Mark is going to put this in front of us again and again. So stay tuned for future week as we begin to apply what Jesus does to our own lives. But I'm convinced, as I said a moment ago, that we live between reality and a disconnect of God's love and experiencing that in every aspect of our lives. So here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we go on this journey. As, as we challenge you throughout the week, as we invite you, as we seek to learn your story and learn what, and help you learn what God is inviting you into. I want you to set a reminder at 1.11 every single day. Pull out your phone, pull out, you know, put it on your calendar. I'd encourage you to do it. Set, set it there, alarm, reminder, something. So that 1.11, standing for Mark chapter 1, verse 11, and just simply repeat those words. I am a loved child of God, and he is well pleased with me. And when we remind ourselves of that, we will find that in our weariness, as we think about our mistakes, as we think about not measuring up, as we think maybe about not achieving enough, as we think about this maybe screw-ups in our, our own home with relationships, as, as, we, as we think what God does is he provides care for our weary soul. That we are not defined by what we do, but we are defined by what he has done for us. And then also maybe he will challenge you to confess, to return to him and return to his love again and again, to know that he has welcomed you with open arms. This is, I haven't forgotten you. I haven't forsaken you. It doesn't matter. Return to my love again and again. And he has proven his love for us in Jesus. So may we be people who remind ourselves of God's love for us so that we can remind others of God's love for them. And when we remind others of God's love for them, we will see lives change. We will see God's family expanded. And we'll see others enter the dance. May we all be people who step out onto the dance floor, whether awkwardly for the first time or in sync with God and dance together with Him. Let's pray. God, You are good. And I just pray right now that as we prepare to enter a time of response, that we just open ourselves up to you and how you love us, and that we believe that and act as if it is true. Guide us, direct us on this journey. We trust you. We're learning to trust you. Thank you for your love. 
and how it was poured out and shown to us in Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.